one of our prayer cards or some, to know more about what our international office is doing, you may pick up one of those. Uh, this morning, I want us to reflect on a subject uh, that perhaps uh, don't get talked about often in our homes, but it gets talked about a lot in businesses. Um, I want us to reflect on the subject of vision. And I ask the question, what's in a vision? Um, not many times do we sit in our families and we say, let's write a vision statement. But more often than not, in businesses, in churches, in organizations, we work hard to write vision statements. But in reality, whether we write a statement or not, we all actually have a vision. Every parent have a vision for their children. And I have never met any parent that says their vision for their children is that one day that child might end up in prison. Just doesn't happen. In fact, for the most part, I will hear parents hoping that one of these days their children will be a professional, a doctor, a lawyer. a few do think maybe their children will be missionaries, but not too many. Uh, most often than not, as parents, we do hope that our children will do well in life. That's our vision often for our children. But this morning, I want us to reflect on that subject as the people of God, as Christians. So what's in a vision? And I'm going to just take us to the book of Acts chapter 26, and I just want us to spend a few minutes reflecting with Apostle Paul on the subject of vision. Acts chapter 26. I'm going to start, we're going to start our reflection from verse 9, but I will just read a brief part of that particular passage from verse 15. I will read from verse 15, but we'll pick up from verse 9. Acts 26, I will read from verse 15. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege we have to gather like this, to be to gather freely before you, to listen to your word without any fear of attack. Father, we are in a privileged place. 
But I ask this morning that uh, as we live in a place like this, a place of freedom, a place where we're free to, to worship, to serve you, I pray that you may open our eyes to a greater vision of what that will be. And I ask that you will bless your word this morning. Speak by the power of your spirit to your people. Be honored in this place, our God. We praise you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. What's in a vision? See, it's interesting that this passage in the book of Acts, because this passage is basically towards the end of the book of Acts. The book of Acts ends in chapter 28, where Paul, you know, was taken to Rome. But Paul, in chapter 26, was basically defending himself before authority. And it's just quite interesting that Paul chose to make his defense based on a vision. Um, I don't know how often it will be welcomed in our courts here if someone were to be in trouble to present his case based on a vision. Usually, you make legal arguments, and you quote constitutions, and you quote precedents. But Paul was making a case based on a vision. Of course, the story didn't start in chapter 26. The story starts way back in Acts, and even before that, in the Gospels with the birth of Christ. His death and resurrection, and the transformation that came as a result of that, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 and the spread of the gospel out of Jerusalem, and then the conversion of Paul himself, and then the call of Paul, basically the commissioning of Paul in the Antioch church, along with Barnabas in Acts 13. And Paul had gone out as a missionary to many parts of the world then. He'd been in Asia, he's been, he's been in Europe, he's been in all parts of Palestine. And at this point, he had returned to Jerusalem and to report back to the elders in Jerusalem of his ministry. And in fact, the way the, work, the, the book of Acts put it was that they were reporting what God had done through the ministry of Paul and the church and the elders in Jerusalem were glorifying God with them. But then they warned Paul that many people were really agitated about him. And then he was encouraged to actually purify himself and join a group of people who had taken a vow, and he joined those people uh, in that vow, and then he went into the temple to do what the law required. And it was in that temple that Paul was arrested. Because first of all, there were agitators from Asia, Jews from Asia, who had assumed, that, first of all, had an accusation against Paul that he was turning people against the law and against the temple. But then they also thought that Paul had entered the temple with a Greek, Prophemus. And because of that, Paul was arrested in the temple. And, uh, of course, they probably would have killed him right away, if not because the centurion intervened and rescued Paul from their hand and took him into the barracks. And as they were not able to resolve the issue... The Jews plotted to kill Paul, and Paul had to be taken by night to Caesarea and uh, presented before Felix. And over the years, I mean, Felix was hoping that Paul was going to give him bribe, and Paul never gave bribe. Two years in, the, in jail in Caesarea, 
and Felix left him in jail just to, to favor the Jews, and then Festus came along. Festus wanted to know what the problem was. Uh, Paul presented his case to Festus, and then King Agrippa was visiting with his wife, Bernice. And at this point, in Acts chapter 6, Paul had now been invited to present his case once more before King Agrippa. So the account in Acts chapter 26 was the account of Paul presenting his case as a prisoner before King Agrippa. And he started in verse 1 basically acknowledging uh, who Agrippa is and recognizing that Agrippa was very familiar with the Jewish law. And then he went on and then in verse 9 where I want us to really pick up. Paul began to tell who he was. You see, Paul had a vision. Paul had two sets of vision, if we can put it that way. There was the vision of the old and the vision of the new. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was trained in the law. Paul knew the law in and out. And in fact, he could say that he had kept a clear conscience before God. He stood before the council in Jerusalem and said, I have kept a clear conscience before God. And of course, for that reason, the high priest said he should be slapped. Paul had a vision as a young man to be a Pharisee. Not just a Pharisee, a Pharisee that kept the law. And that was who he was. In fact, he was so faithful to the law that he chose to persecute all of those who chose to follow the way. Paul was committed to a vision. And that vision was to eradicate those who followed Jesus of Nazareth. And so in his account before Agrippa, in verse 9, Paul said, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul had a vision. His vision was that the church must be eradicated. His vision was that these people who chose to follow the Nazarene must never be allowed to exist. And he was so committed to that vision, he was committed to that vision more than anyone else. We do not have an account in the whole New Testament of any other person who took it so much upon himself, not only to persecute the Christians where they were, but to go from city to city to get them in prison. Paul had a, a vision. Then what was the source of Paul's vision? Was that from God? Was Paul's vision God's intention? But at the time, Paul did think that he was serving God, didn't he? Paul believed that what, that was what the God of the Jews would want him to do. Paul was convinced that the people of the way were wrong and the ways of the Jews were right. And so he had to do everything to protect the ways of the Jews. 
against the people who follow Jesus. And in verse 12, he said, So why so engage as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests? At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when he had all, we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the gods. There was an, a vision-changing encounter for Paul. See, Paul was not living without a vision. But Paul experienced a vision-changing encounter. I don't know if you could imagine with me that moment, this moment on the way to Damascus. So, so why are you persecuting me? And then Saul answered in verse 15, he said, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I don't know if you can imagine with me at this moment, what happened to Paul's theology? Because up to this moment, Paul never believed in a resurrected Christ. You see, if he believed in a resurrected Christ, he would already be a part of the people of the way. He would have already been following the Nazarene. But he didn't believe up to this point that Jesus had resurrected. Even though as a Pharisee, he believed in the resurrection of the dead. But not of this particular one. And suddenly, on the way to Damascus, here is the resurrected Christ. You talk of a shaking theology. You talk of everything taking a whole new dimension for Paul. Paul encountered the resurrected Christ. The very one that he was persecuting. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? There are many in the world today who will not blink before they take off the head of a Christian. There are many in the world today who specifically target the church of Christ. We work in contexts where this happens all the time. There are those who gather today on this very Sunday worshiping with, with the realization that that could be the last day on earth. There are those who go to church today who know that they may never get back home. Because there are still those who have a vision, a vision of eradicating the church of Jesus Christ. Last night, CNN ran the documentary of the attack on the Westgate Mall in Kenya. And they actually had the footage from the cameras in that place. And consistently, you see these terrorists ask people, are you a Muslim or a Christian? And when they say, I'm a Christian, they shoot them right away. It was just death. And you could think that people who are doing that actually believe that they're serving God. 
who are doing that believe that this is the command God had given to them. It seems nothing has changed since the day of Paul. It seems like there are still many who have carried the vision that the people who follow Christ can be eradicated. But Paul was one of those people. And then he encountered Christ. And everything changed. Why are you persecuting me? I don't believe that Paul up to this moment ever imagined that the vision that he was carrying out and he was fulfilling was the persecution of Christ. I believe Paul really believed he was dealing with human beings. He was just getting rid of these unwanted people. But of course, everything he was doing was against the resurrected Son of God. And Christ said to him, verse 16, But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. So the vision changed. Not only did Paul had a vision changing encounter, he also had a vision clarifying message. You see, up to this point, Paul's purpose for living was to see the law fulfilled, was to make sure that the law was respected, the law of Moses was supreme to everything else, and he was willing to take lives just to make that happen. But when he encountered the living Jesus, that vision changed. Christ said to him, I have appeared to you for a purpose. To appoint you a minister and a witness. I'm sending you as a servant of the message and as a matter for the message. The same word, witness, that Christ said to the disciples when he met them. And he said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the utmost part of the earth. The same language he used with Paul. I'm appointing you a witness. It's an appointment. Christ was totally turning around Paul's vision. Paul's vision will no longer be that the law is fulfilled, but that Christ is honored. And in verse continued to explain what that vision was going to be. He said, I will rescue you from the Jewish people, verse 17, and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. And here is the vision. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Christ clarified for Paul what he was calling Paul to do. Christ clarified for Paul what the vision is. And I just want us to take a few minutes to reflect on that message to Paul. 
Because I do believe that that same message applies to the church today. That message applies to every one of us today. He said, I am sending you to them to open their eyes. That they may turn from darkness to light. I think when we live in this kind of context, in a context like this where we're free, in fact, everything is basically easy, we can worship God freely, I think there's there's a risk that we begin to value less and less what we have. Because when the faith becomes so comfortable, it also becomes less valuable. When we don't have to fear for our lives for being Christians, then we stand the risk of valuing less and less what Christ did. We value it quite all right. We value it in our minds. We're grateful that Jesus died on the cross. But deep down in our heart, what does that mean? What does that do? What vision does it generate in us that Jesus died on the cross and rose again? What commitment does it call for each of our lives that he died and rose again? For Paul, Christ made a clarification. I'm calling you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light. See, the reality is that there is no middle way between darkness and light. There is not, there's nothing between being a follower of Christ and being a follower of Satan. There's nothing between being in the light and being in the darkness. There are no in-betweens. And sometimes, actually, in this culture, it seems like there is in-between. You know, people are not so bad, you know? Like, he's not a Christian, but he's not so bad after all. You know, he's, I mean, he, he does all the nice things. He's a good man in the society. There is no in-between. You are either in the light or you are in the darkness. You are either under the dominion of Satan or under the authority of the living God through Christ. See, because when the faith of Christ becomes a faith that can be in between, then we're really in trouble. When the vision of who Christ is begins to get deemed by the realities around us, then we're really in trouble. It doesn't take more than one generation for the church to be wiped out. But I can remind us that it wasn't too long ago that the whole of North Africa was Christian. It wasn't too long ago that the whole of countries like Turkey was Christian. In fact, many of the Bible you know, passages, many of the letters of, the, of Revelation was written to churches that are in today, Turkey. Today, there's less than 10% Christians in Turkey. We think it can't happen here? So when the people of God lose the vision that Christ himself gives, then the church is really in trouble. Paul was told by the risen Christ himself. See, this is not Paul explaining his theology. This is Paul reporting what the risen Christ said. That you are either in the light 
you are in darkness. You are either under the dominion of Satan or under the rule of the living God. There are no in-betweens. This message changed Paul's vision. He recognized that all those who had never had a chance to make a commitment to Christ are forever lost. All those who had never had a chance to recognize Christ as their Lord and Savior, to hear the good news of Christ's death and resurrection, they are forever lost. They are in the darkness, under the dominion of Satan. And it's only those who had had a chance to respond to the gospel of Christ and repentance that comes into the light. If that is true, can you imagine how many people, even in this town, are in the darkness? You see, maybe sometimes we actually think perhaps the darkness have grades, you know, like there's the grade of those who don't go to church and the grade of those, you know, who are actually in other religion. And perhaps there's a different grade of darkness where ISIS, you know, resides. Brothers and sisters, there's no biblical basis for that. The darkness is the darkness. If you are lost and you are part of ISIS, you are not any more lost than if you are lost and you, you, stay, you stay in your house and stay brain, not doing anything. You are just as lost. The expression of those lostness might be different, but a man that is lost and a woman that is lost is lost to the gospel. So what's our vision? What is our vision for the lost? The Bible says they are in darkness. See, when we were at university, we used to, you know, the Christians that belong to the Christian group, like the intervarsity group. And, you know, some of us, we complain about our roommates who, you know, we smoke in the room and bring in girls and things. And I remember one time somebody saying, tell me, you call these people sinners. If they don't sin, what do you expect them to do? I mean, they're sinners. That's what sinners do. And suddenly, it dawned on me that the issue is not complaining about sinners being in sin. The issue is are the Christians who are not taking the light of the gospel to them. What's the vision of this church? What's your vision for yourself? What's your vision for your children, your grandchildren? You see that they may encounter Christ, and then they too may receive a commission like Paul to bring them from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. I don't expect that much will change in the attitude of a member of ISIS, of a member of Boko Haram, of just an atheist down the road without the saving power of the gospel of Christ. It is only the gospel that changes life, that transforms human beings. Not any government program, 
not any political intervention, not any good works that we can do. People are changed by the transforming power of the gospel with the Holy Spirit working in their heart, making the truth of the gospel real in their hearts and transforming their lives as they respond to that truth. Without that, nothing will change. Not, no amount of political activism will change it. So what is our vision for that change? Because a large part of the world still live in darkness. A large part of the world still live under the dominion of Satan. Paul concluding said to Agrippa, so King Agrippa did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all of the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Paul encountered the living Christ on the way to Damascus. He was taken from the road into Damascus where he received his sight through the prayer of Ananias. And he said, from that Damascus, he never ceased to preach Christ. In Damascus, in Jerusalem, and of course he gave us his encounter with Christ right in the temple, where he said he, had a, he was in a trance and he saw Christ standing with him and saying, get out of this city. In Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and then to the Gentile world, I never ceased to proclaim Christ. I don't know how big, big your vision is, or how big the vision of this church is, of what Christ might do. See, I shared my testimony yesterday. I didn't have a vision of Christ doing anything through my life among those who live and die without hearing his story. I was in medical school. I come from a poor family. I wanted a life that has nothing to do with poverty. I wanted to finish medical school and make money and live well and, you know, relieve my family of poverty. I had a vision. It just had nothing to do with the law. It had everything to do with my comfort. Until the Lord changed that vision. And unlike Paul, he changed mine though I was kicking and screaming. Because I told him I couldn't do what he wanted me to do. I couldn't be a missionary and he should forget it. You know, I knew the plans that I had for my life didn't include his plan for me. So I'm thankful to the Lord that I didn't succeed and he succeeded. There are men. Just think of the world. Think of places, even in this country. I don't know if you realize that there are many in this country who live within communities that they do not understand the gospel. They don't hear the gospel. And if they hear it, they don't hear it in the form that they understand what the gospel is saying. Because they don't have the background story. They are still just as much in darkness as ever. See, the fact that a, a, a Turkish Muslim lives in Florida or lives in Sibri or lives even in the Bible Belt doesn't mean they are saved or they will be saved. 
without hearing the gospel. And so, Christ has a vision for each one of us. He has a vision for this church. He invites us to participate in that vision. To bring them from darkness to light. So what's your role? And what's the role of this church? From here, perhaps you call this your Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the utmost part of the earth. What is your role? And what is the role of this church? in the continuing spread of the light to bring those who are still in darkness to light and those under the dominion of Satan to God. When a man, a woman is under the dominion of Satan, Satan does whatever he likes with them. That word dominion is a legal term. It means authority, it means control, it means rule. Satan rules. Jesus said, I want them from under the dominion of Satan to God so that they too may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith. And Paul said, King Agrippa, I am not disobedient to the vision from heaven. I don't know how many of us this morning can bend our heads in prayer and say, Lord Jesus, I have not been disobedient to the vision from heaven. Think about that. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Because you are the God who gives a vision to your people to reach out to men and women who are living and dying in darkness, without hope, without God in this world, alienated from the light of God, eternally lost. Lord, you, the God of wisdom, chose to give the responsibility of making you known to the world, to us, human beings, whom you have redeemed by the shed blood of your Son. I pray this morning that each of us, Lord, may share this vision. A vision reaching out to those who are living and dying without ever hearing or understanding the gospel of Christ. Men and women, young and old, who are still lost in darkness, under the dominion of Satan, who need forgiveness of sin and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in you. Father, challenge that vision this morning. Give us a new vision as we encounter you in our lives and in your world. In Jesus' name.